has that ability to help us engage God. It helps us remember a lot of things. In fact, I could tell you right now the preamble to the Constitution. I really can. I can tell you what an adverb is. I can tell you the order of the planets. You know why? Schoolhouse rock. Absolutely right. I could totally do that right now. If you're between the age of 40 and 60, you know a phone number, and so do I. If I, I can demonstrate for you. If I say 867, you're going to say 5309, and that's Jenny's number. Jenny, don't change your number, right? And, and that became like my password for like all the four-digit things, 5309. So you could totally hack me right now because I'm like, I will never forget Jenny's number. Right? It just does that. Somehow song has that ability. And when we look at Exodus 15, we're looking at the song of freedom. The song of freedom. Because God knew that what he was doing with this group of people who had just witnessed the ten plagues. Those ten plagues were really Three sets of three and then a final plague. And what was God doing? Why not just wake up one morning and, and all of a sudden all the Egyptians are dead. You just get your stuff, take whatever you want of theirs and just march out. God knew that the, his people needed to see a demonstration of his sovereign power over the nation of Israel, which was the sole superpower of its day. And so by those ten plagues, God was demonstrating that he alone is God. And he was not only going to get Israel out of Egypt, he was going to get Egypt out of Israel. There was too much polytheism that was at work in the hearts and minds of the people of God. They still kind of held to the idea of, well, I believe in the God of my fathers, but he hadn't done much for me lately. When I look around at my life and my circumstances, I'm not happy. I don't know that God sees me or hears me or cares about me. And because of that, sure, I'm going to keep my little bit of faith in him, but I'm going to start believing in some of these other gods that seem to have real power. And that could happen to you. And to me, as much as it could to them. And what I mean by that is God is at work in your life as much as he was in their life, demonstrating that he really is the one and only God Almighty, true God, very God of very God. And that we should live our lives remembering that, thinking about him, talking to him, sharing our hearts with him, leaning on him for wisdom, for protection, for provision, for moving things that I can't move with money and I can't move with wit and charm. You have a lot of bags or tricks in your bag that you still lean on. When the pressure comes on in life, there's a lot of Egypt in you. There's a lot of Egypt in me. And God, through difficulty, is revealing who he is to the people of Israel. And God knows that this people, this group of people who had just witnessed an incredible event, not just the ten plagues. Remember, it was the Nile turning to blood. Remember, it was the frogs and the gnats, and it was the hailstones coming. It was the boils that were on the Egyptians, but not on the uh, Israelites. They had seen all of that, and then they saw the plague of all plagues. Your firstborn child 
will be dead by morning unless you take shelter under the blood of an innocent lamb, a perfect one-year-old spotless lamb. Unless you take shelter behind the blood of that lamb, you will not be saved. And so here it is. This is a group of people who believed that, took refuge there. And then as they left, as they left and that night in haste, and they found themselves boxed in by the wilderness and the sea in front of them as God had led them to it. Pharaoh is coming behind them, and he is ready to strike. They watch and see God deliver them through the impossible, right through the middle of the sea. You know, you know if, you, if you were there, right? And you'd seen all that. You'd be prone to think, I will never doubt him ever again. Never again. I don't know what's in front of me, but I do know what's behind me. And I will never, ever doubt that my God is really listening, watching, and caring, and has power to deliver me. I will never doubt that again in my life. You'd be the voice of reason, right? So would I. Uh, But we are prone to forget. We are prone to forget. We forget what God has done in the past. We forget the miracles of how he has taken us out of situations that we couldn't extract ourselves from. We, we couldn't get out. We could, we could say, my gosh, where would I be now if it hadn't been for his hand? All of us could share that thought. If you've walked with him in any amount of time, you would say this, gosh, where would my life be if it weren't for God? at work. And yet, we are prone to forget. Now listen, I had a seminary prof uh, who someone warned me. His name is Dr. Lanier Burns. I love Lanier Burns. But someone warned me ahead of time. They said, do not try to take notes in a traditional sense with Lanier Burns. What do you mean? Well, he's not linear. He doesn't stack thoughts upon thoughts upon thoughts and then come to a conclusion he's thematic so he's like jackson pollock right like his thoughts he's he's creating an image and he said so just get your pen out and be ready to write down the one or two things that really stand out to you because at the end you're going to see an image of something you can't see with the start well i don't think i'm quite like lanier burns but here's what i want to tell you about listening to sermons god knows where you're at right now He knows how you got there. He knows better than you how you got to the moment where you're sitting in this chair listening to this. He knows the history of your fears and insecurities, the brokenness, the mending, the way he's redeeming your heart and your mind and creating a new narrative in your mind about who he is, about who you are. He knows that and he wants to speak to you this morning. And so I want to encourage you to listen actively as if. As if your hands were like this towards God saying, I expect to receive from you something that I need to hear this morning. Would you speak to me? Would you tell me what you want me to know about you, about me, about this world that I live in? You can see what's in front of me also that I can't see. You know what I do need to be believing that I don't yet believe. Would you help me to hear your voice this morning? That's my prayer for you. Listen actively. And Father, we just want to come and we want to lay our hearts in front of you. God, you know us better than we know ourselves. 
You see us more clearly than we can see ourselves. You see the world around us. Help us, Lord. We are prone to forget all of your kindness, all of your goodness. We're prone to think that if we had a little bit more money, surely everything would be okay. I would feel better. I would feel safer, more secure, more significant. If this person loved me, if this person would include me and invite me, then I'd be okay. Lord God, help us to see past these foolish ideas that you alone are the one who steadies us. You alone give us a foundation to stand on through the storms of life. Oh God, I pray that you'd speak to us this morning. Help me, Lord, to speak in a way that is honoring to you, but proclaiming what is true and give your people ears where they can hear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the context of where we're at, in Exodus chapter 15, my guess is most of you have never heard a sermon on Exodus 15, the song. But it's a song of freedom. It's the sound of freedom. It's, a, it's, a, it's written, written to God and it's about God. I love the statement that Andrew Fletcher said. He's a Scottish philosopher that said many, many, many years ago, let me write the songs of a nation. I do not care who writes its laws. He was on to something. If I can capture the heart and the mind of a people, it really won't matter what the laws are because in writing this, I'll capture their hearts. I'll capture their minds. Andrew Peterson said, if you want someone to know the truth, teach it to them. If you want them to love the truth, tell them a story. If you want them to love and remember the truth, tell them the story in a song. And that's what he does better than almost anybody. He can tell you what is true in a song, and you end up singing that song when you don't even mean to, and you find yourself lifted higher than your circumstances because you know the song, and, you, and you're like, golly, I didn't even realize that this is shaping the way I view the world. The Psalms of Ascent do the same thing. It's uh, Psalm 120 through 134. It's the songs that the nation of Israel sang as they were making their pilgrimage up to Jerusalem, and I mean up. As you get close to Jerusalem, it's a steady climb. And so they would begin to sing these songs together. And all these songs would begin to tell them, who is God? Who am I? And it was like a catechizing of the whole nation. It was shaping their view from their earliest years. Listening to aunts and uncles and brothers and cousins singing these songs about God. And what did the Apostle Paul say to the New Testament church? He said, be filled with the Spirit, in chapter 5, verse 19, addressing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We were, we were playing softball the other day and you know, we have a pretty good team. And, uh, you know, I, I, we were in a moment where I feel like the team was kind of down and, and we were struggling and fighting to win. And Ryan's our coach. I, I feel like he kind of gave me that nod like, hey, Robert, can you just take the team on your shoulders and just carry us forward? And it was, I mean, he didn't say that verbally, but it was kind of the feeling I had that he was giving me. And I'm like, 
gave him a nod, a quiet nod. And, um, but the team that we were playing kept putting on this theme music, you know, like when their guys came up to bat, you know, all of a sudden they're blaring this song. And I, and I remember thinking, man, if someone could just play by the Scorpions, rock you like a hurricane, I'm confident I could just, you know, that's what I felt because that's my, you know, that's, that's my, man, get me going. Every Sunday morning as I'm driving here, my kids know, don't ask for a song, in particular song. I've got to hear certain worship songs to get ready to preach, you know. And so I'm like listening to songs. It's every Sunday. It's that for me. Songs just have that power. God wanted us to be singing. God wanted us to be lifting each other up with songs and psalms. And there were times when 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 my mother-in-law died, and it, it was such a brief uh, fight with cancer. It was, a, it was really brief. It was like she was diagnosed in late December, and she died by May. And she was 59 years old. And, and I was like just trying to reach my wife. I'm not only her husband, I'm her pastor, and I'm trying to I'm trying to engage, just trying to be present, trying to love her, and nothing could get through but songs. Uh, there was a particular song, What Do I Know of Holy? What do I know of wounds that can heal my shame? And, and the song, it, it just was so powerful, it could reach in. And so when, when my mom also was sick with cancer and God miraculously healed her, she had stage four and God healed her. The doctors said, we've heard of this, we've just never seen this, and, and she got healed. Can I tell you that there was songs of joy in our hearts? That part of the way I would reach towards God was singing songs of praise, enjoying the gift that God has given the church to sing, and to, when I can't lift my head, He lifts my head for me, and He does it through song. One of the things I want to encourage you to do is ask the Lord, give me the songs for this season of my life that I need to be singing. And often I find that sermons that I preach will not stick with you nearly like the songs that you sang this morning. That's intentional. God intended for you to sing. God wants to feed you truth through the songs. And it's intentional what we choose to sing from this stage. We're not going to sing songs that talk everything in the world about how I feel about God. We're going to sing songs about how does God feel about me. How good is his grip on me, not how good is my grip on him. Because that will fail me. But his grip will never fail. And so when you hear this song, you need to know something. The nation of Israel was better at this than we are. The people of God of that generation, they were better at lament, they were better at celebration, they were better at milestones, they were better at that. We need to learn from them. So listen to these words from this song. It says that at the end of this, having just watched the, 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 the superpower of their day come down on them, feel like they were about to be crushed and God just delivers them, this is what they sang. I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider have been thrown into the sea. Oh, the Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become 
my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord, and mark this, is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Now, why is this significant? Because I want you to see this. It's not really in particular strong order, but what this song does is it looks back at the near past and at the distant past. It looks around at the now, and then it looks to the very far future. That's what this song does. He says, the Lord has triumphed. Gloriously, the horse and his rider have been thrown into the sea. And in verse 4, his, also it says that his chosen officers have been thrown into the sea, and they've been cast into the sea. Now, why does that matter? What, well, every single Israeli family, every single person who had been in captivity there had been touched by this truth that when Egypt felt threatened by the people of God, Pharaoh said, if it's a male child born, throw him into the Nile. Cast him into the Nile. Pick up that little tiny infant and throw him into the river. And, and there's nothing that Israel could do because they weren't strong enough to save. <laughs> what does God say? I'm not going to do that to infants. I'm going to do that to men of war. I'll pick them up. I'll cast them into the sea. I'll throw them right into the water, and they won't be strong enough to stop me. There's nothing they can do. Israel's remembering their baby boys being taken from them, and they're saying, God, you took the chosen officers of Pharaoh. You took the strongest that he had, and they weren't strong enough to stop you, and you cast them into the sea. Not only that, he says, this is my God. Or he says, I love this. He says, the Lord is my strength and he's my song and he's become my salvation. He's my strength. I'm not. Gosh, you, you know, we could camp on that for about a, for an hour right now. He's my strength. I'm not my strength. I mean, we, we could sing that and we could say that. We could all nod our heads at that. But living with that, living that reality, when, when something comes at you in life and it's bigger than you, it's more expensive than what you can accommodate, it's, it's your child's suffering and all you want to do is find a way, how do I keep them from this? And you can't. Okay, God is my strength becomes your answer in that moment. We don't want to live like practical atheists that sing these things, say these things, agree with these things, but when it really comes down to it, we rely on ourselves as our strength. No. God is my strength. I'm going to turn to Him. I'm outmatched. I'm going to turn to Him. God, You are the one who has strength and power for this situation, and I'm going to lean on You. As we just read in the Confessions, Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. He'll make your path straight. He'll show you how to walk forward. God, you're my strength. And not only my strength, you are my song, as we've been saying, and you have become my salvation. You're the one that set me free because when I look at this superpower that's about to crush us, it wasn't somehow that I, I juked left and, 
right? And then I outfoxed him. No. I didn't get through the water like that. You're the one that set me free. You're my salvation. You're my God, but you're also my father's God. See, I wasn't so sure about that one for a while. I wasn't so sure about the the God of my fathers because for 430 years we lived in captivity under the brutality of an Egyptian whip. And I didn't know what to think of my God who was the, my father's God, who was telling me about this God who sees and cares, the God who makes promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I wasn't even sure if that God still existed, but you are my God, you are my father's God, and you're my salvation, and that's why I'm going to sing out to you. You can see what's happening, right? They're rising. The more they think and sing and talk about the power of God and what he's done, you can see their perspective that was down here like this is rising, it's climbing, it's getting higher. And all of a sudden, it is lifted high to the God of all creation. And because of that, they can see a way forward. And that's a glorious and beautiful thing. But how about this? The Lord is a man of war. I like that because it really basically says he is a full-on combat soldier who is eager to fight. You ever think of God like that? An aggressive soldier eager to fight for you. C.S. Lewis speaks about his lieutenant in World War I who was basically a very uh, rural, uh, rural, I I struggle with that word, rural, young man from Ireland and he said honestly I don't think I've ever met a soldier who was more eager to fight than him he really enjoyed it he loved fighting the Germans and he was good at it he said in battle you wanted to be next to him because this guy was an all out combat soldier Uh, I I read biographies on General Patton he was the same way just a, a man made for combat now, I've never been in the military, I haven't seen this, but th- they speak of this, and I've, I've heard of, uh, of people that, man, they just live for the fight, they're ready to go. Do you ever think of God like that, that God is the one who is a man of war, fully equipped in armor and ready to fight and engage the enemy for you? How glorious a thought. It's not me who's going to meet the enemy at the door, it's my God who's going to do that. God is a man of war. And we, we tend to too often just think of him as this meek and weak and whatever doting granddad. No, he's a man of war who fights on our behalf. Not only that, it says Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, his chosen officers, the best of his best, couldn't do anything to, to stop him. The floods covered them, and they went down in the depths like a stone. It was your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In your greatness of majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. (laughs) Your right hand, just a metaphor for the strong one. All of your strength, the best of your strength, you brought to bear against Pharaoh and his chosen officers. 
Now, you need to understand something that if it, it, the previous two chapters, it describes Israel leaving Egypt equipped for battle. So they had some spears. They had some swords. <laughs> but when they came up against this, they realized we might as well be standing here with kitchen utensils. We're, we're no match for these guys. We're not going to be able to stand back and go, hey, beware, I've got a sword here. They're on chariots. Like in, unless God does something, we're in real trouble. And God did do something. It was his glorious right hand. And not only that, he says, in the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow who? Your adversaries. See, I, I thought they were just mine. I didn't realize that if it's my adversary, that it's yours as well. If I've got an enemy in a spiritual realm that wants to see me defeated and destroyed, if I've got somebody here on earth that just hates me for my following of God, they have become his adversaries. He will fight on my behalf, on your behalf. He's your protector. He is your shield in heaven and on earth. He watches over you if it's his, your adversary, it's his adversary. It's the dumbest thing in the world, but I, I sometimes feel this. Sometimes when my son's running the football, I'm ducking. I'm moving like this. I'm like, I see him coming, and I'm trying to duck. For Luke's sake. I'm, and when he scores, guess what? I, we, I, Livingston scored. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. Somehow it's my victory because it's my, my son, right? Do you see this? God sees you and your adversaries angling at you to rub your face in the turf and he won't have it. And if you find yourself face down and you find yourself in a terrible spot, God is aware, watching and using even that terrible moment for a purpose to draw you in and to gain victory for his glory. They're his adversaries. They're not yours or mine. Don't think of yourself as an orphan who has no father who cares about your difficulties. That's not who he is. That's not how this works. And so he says, they sing the song. It was your adversaries. You send out your fury and it consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up and the flood stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. You know, I still love that word congealed. You so rarely get to use it in a sentence, right? It, 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 it's, a, it's a very visual picture. And I have to confess that we did watch The Prince of Egypt last night. Such a good movie if you haven't seen it in a while. But it's, here they are <laughs> walking through a sea and the waters are a wall on either side of them. God... The waters were terrified when they saw you. Almost like a sneeze, the blast of your nostrils and the waters just did that. See, now that, that'd be quite a testimony. That'd be quite a, a scene to be holding in your mind. So whatever else comes your way, you could look back and go, remember when the waters split for us, though? I mean, this is bad. But remember when the waters stood up like a wall? I want you to just... Make a note right now, Psalm 77. I'm going to read what is obviously 
a psalm of lament from Psalm 77. This is, this is when the psalmist is going through a terrible time. What does he go back to? What does he go to sing? He sings about the Exodus. Listen to this. It says in verse 10, Then I said, I will appeal this to the years of the right hand of the Most High. Now that starts to sound familiar, but listen to this. When he's in turmoil, he goes back and he says this, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder on all your works and meditate on your mighty deeds. Now here's something important. I want you to catch this. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. With your arm, you redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and of Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water and the skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind, and your lightning glided up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. So what is this? What is this? person so many generations later doing he's going right back to that moment in exodus 15 and they're going what was that song what was that song about the power of god what was that song about how the water split for us because if i can remember that maybe i can face this army maybe i can face this dark night this loneliness this despair maybe i can face this moment where i'm not sure if god sees me I can face it because I'm going to go right back and I'm going to remember this statement. Your way, oh God, is holy. Your way is through the sea. You know what the word holy means, right? It means other. Your way, oh God, is other. Your way is in the sea. So, your way is other than mine. I mean, I, I would make this path forward in the next five, six, seven years, <laughs> five, six, seven months. This is how I would chart the course. But your way is not like mine. Your way is holy, O oh God. Your way is through the sea. I would never choose the sea. It doesn't make any sense. I'm not, I'm not one to choose the impossible. I'm one to choose the logical. Your way of doing things, God, is just different from mine. You don't. You don't do things the way I would logically want you to do them, the, the way that I would say seems safest. Your way is holy. Your way is through the sea. You can do the impossible. And you can not only do it for the generation that was many years ahead of me, but you can do it now. You can do it in my life. Do you see that? What is the, this person who wrote this song, what is Moses saying? Hey, this is a song you're going to be singing for a while song of how our God does the impossible, how, how he fights for you, and how he does things that wouldn't logically make any sense to us. So that's what he's doing in Psalm 77. And there's, a, there's really a, a message for us. Lord, 
Keep my heart close to yours. Don't let me get lukewarm. Don't let me drift. Hold me very close to you. Use friends around me. Use the truth of your word that hasn't been polished up and made twisted into a a pretzel. Let, Let it be the true preached word of God, the true studied word of God that you don't have to twist up to make it say something else. Let it be that. And Lord God, let it be the songs of salvation that lift me out of this valley that I'm in. Otherwise, I'll start depending on something else, someone else, and believing and hoping for somewhere else. Hold my heart close to you. Listen to this. Uh, It says here in verse 9 of chapter 15, the enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill in them. I will draw my sword with my hand and I shall destroy them. You know, it, it, is, it kind of puzzles me that somehow Egypt and the choice officers thought, you know, I know that's a wall of water, but it's still open, and I'm going to get them. I'm thinking, didn't anybody kind of go, ah, time out. I mean, you can see that that's probably not a good idea. But they were so filled with rage, so filled with desire. And remember, I- Israel had left Egypt with a lot of their wealth. They came in and said, I'm going to get it back. I'm going to destroy them in all of their anger. And yet, you blew with your wind and the sea covered them. and They sank like lead in the mighty waters. That's looking back, right? I mean, it just happened. The Egyptian witnessed it. They looked back. They said, gosh, what a victory. See those guys? They went down like a stone. They didn't have a fighting chance. God just wiped them out. Now here's the conclusion. As they not just look back, they start to look around. Here's what they say. Who is like you, Lord, among the gods? Who is majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your hand and the earth swallowed them whole. You have led your you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them with your strength in your whole, to your holy abode abode. This is so good because what he's saying is, I think a little bit of Egypt left me that day. A little bit of not just me leaving Egypt, but Egypt leaving me. I look around and I say, Who is like our God among the little G gods of Egypt? There's no one like you. There's no one like you. Only you could do this, God. You have led and loved and guided us with your right hand, the people who you have redeemed. And remember this word redemption means to loose, to turn loose. Something that's caught and trapped, you untied and you loosened us. And you've loved us. And what happens as a result? The people of the nation start to tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom are dismayed and they tremble. It seizes the leaders of Moab and all of the inhabitants of Canaan. 
has melted away, and terror's dread has fallen upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They're still as a stone till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. It's such a beautiful word again for redemption. You know what he's saying? The nations around us look and see what happened to Egypt, which was greater than any of them. And they say, gosh, if the God of Israel would do that to Egypt, who was the biggest kid on the block by far, what does that mean for us? So you can see this, right? There's a level of peace coming over the people of God, not because they're strong, not because they're rich, not because they're powerful, but because God is on their side. God's on your side, okay? He's for you. He is for you. He's not against you. He's for you. You can look back at how he saved you, and it wasn't because you were beautiful. It's because he set his affection on you for his own purposes, and then he provided his son as a means to make you holy, as a means to save you. He did that for you. You didn't do it yourself. He did it for you. Look back at the cross. Look back and realize what Jesus said on the cross. It is finished. What's finished? It's, a, it's, a, it's an accounting term. It is paid for. The debt that you owed, the debt that I owed, he paid it. It's done. It's finished. All the sin you committed, every backsliding that was to come, he saw that and still redeemed you. He saved you by grace. He's not going to change his mind about you. He's not going to go, oh, well, now that I see how you're acting, I didn't know that. And because of that, I'm I'm fed up with you. No, that's not. He is for you. He's not going to change his mind about you. Now, feel the deep exhale. Oh, okay. Well, what do I do? What do I do with this? I still have sin in my life. It's going to be one of the great struggles of your life is that you still have a rebellious heart that wants to choose its own way. Okay, that's the Egypt that is still in you, that is still wanting this world. It is that part of you that still longs for this. And God is systematically untangling you in your mind and your heart from your past life. And you are growing, being sanctified in Christ. He's changing your affections. But he's never going to change his mind about you. So the inhabitants are terrified of the people of Israel. Now, I want you to see something that you probably won't see very often. It's a couple places in Scripture, but it describes God in two ways in the verses that look forward. We look back, we've looked around, and we're about to look forward. And here's what you're going to see. God is a gardener king. Huh? Yeah, he's a gardener king. Listen to this. As they look forward, he said, uh, the people whom you have purchased, you bought them, you redeemed them. He says, you will bring them and plant them in on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established, the Lord will reign forever and ever. And that's the end of the song. And what has it just shown us? God will plant his people in Israel on his holy mountain, Mount Zion, Jerusalem. He's going to plant them there. 
Now, for me, this image of God as a wise master gardener taken straight out of John 15, this idea that he knows how plants and roots and sunlight and soil, he knows all of that, how it works, and he will plant successfully, capably, he will plant his people in his holy mountain, on his holy mountain. You know, I think back, this is my third church plant. It's, it's kind of a miracle in my mind when I look back that the other two churches are just thriving and, and, and just growing. They're supporting this church plant. Financially and in prayer, they're supporting this church plant because I didn't know what I was doing. You'd ask me with the first two churches, I got super jazzed about names and logos. Man, you get that cool, you know, this name and this, and that logo looks good. Man, this church is going to fly. Because <laughs> of a logo or a website. No. God planted those churches. God planted this one. God's going to plant you. You are under the shepherding, gardening care of a God who knows how to plant. He knows what will make it thrive. He knows what will make this church thrive. He knows you, your marriage, your family. He knows how to put the roots uh, the plant in such a way that the roots will go down and fruit will spring up. You know, when we when we got here, it was right after that massive ice storm and everything was dead. And I didn't know, do you guys know that we're in zone 8B? How many of you knew that? There's certain, yeah, we're in 8B. You know why you need to know that? Because things that grow in Illinois aren't going to grow here. <laughs> you can't just plant your favorite plant you got to plant things that are going to grow in 8D. Certain things will work and certain things won't. Okay, do you realize that God has planted you right now in Georgetown, Texas? He's planted you here. He's surrounded you with a church, with friends. He has surrounded you with a place where you can pray, where you can grow, where you can mature in the Lord. God has planted you and wants to see you thrive. And according to John 15, our Father is a master gardener who knows exactly where to clip and exactly how to water, how to prune things in your life that need to be pruned. God's saying in this passage through this psalm, I'm the gardener who knows how to plant you people. And not only that, he also will reign forever and ever. So he's the king. The king's reign. He's the Lord God Almighty who will reign forever. There's a, there's a great passage in Job chapter 12. Listen to Job's description. It says, he makes nations great. He destroys them. He enlarges nations and he leads them away. He takes away understanding from the chiefs of the people of the earth and he makes them wander in a trackless waste. They grope in the dark without light. He makes them stagger like a drunken man. You see that? This is the God who says of men and their kingdoms and nations, well, they're going to be around for a period of time and then they're going to go away. And this great nation of ours, as it turns its back away from God, is going to stagger. But God's kingdom will never stagger. He's going to reign forever and forever. And that's the God who fights for you. And that's the God who we sing to. And that's the God who watches over you. 
and someday as his kingdom is established in heaven, we will sing this song. We will sing this song again. And we won't sing it like they sang it. We'll sing it from heaven's perspective. And we'll know better than they did what this song really meant. And we will never forget this song. And so I call out to you this morning as we sing these songs of grace and truth. Remember this. Our God is a man of war. He fights for us. He provides for us. He knows our now and he knows our future. And he's going to shepherd us into his kingdom that will never go away. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we love you. Thank you for loving us. It's one thing to love you, but to know that you love us. Oh, God, to be known by you, to be loved by you, to be shepherded by you. I pray, God, that you would let us rest in that. You are the God of my salvation, of my song, but you're also our forefathers, God. Many Christians went before us learning about you, loving you, celebrating you. May that be true for our children and our grandchildren and their children. You are a great and mighty God. You gave your son so that we could be saved by his perfect sacrifice on the cross that day. The exchange has been made, my filthy life for his perfect life. I get heaven, I get you, because he was willing to be on that cross and say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The answer is us. Thank you. Teach us to rest in that. Teach us to sing about that. That our King Jesus took our place, and then he defeated sin and death for us. Lord, for the person who feels trapped this morning, feels afraid of the future, give them a song of truth that lifts them up as they sing about King Jesus, his victory for them, that he shares so richly with them. Give them a song of truth that lifts them higher and higher until they can see the bright grace of God shining on their face. And God, for the person who keeps remembering some defeat of the past, some moment, some season of moments that they're ashamed of, that God set them free from that today. Unhitch their heart from that chain and that bondage, that dungeon of thought. Unhitch them in Jesus' name. Free them to say, that does not define me. Jesus defines me. He has freed me. He has loved me. 